this month in the month of August. Besides traveling to the wilderness, Joe, Forrest, and myself have the privilege of preaching on the book of Acts, a sermon series that we have entitled Ancient Modern Family. Akin to the TV series Modern Family, the book of Acts is comprised of eccentrics and misfits, each new person added to the family, necessitating adjustments and precipitating arguments. The people in the book of Acts are diverse ethnically and culturally and geographically, and their stories are knit together by our common family story, that of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, told again and again in new ways every time. Last week, Joe Forrest ended her sermon with the stoning of Stephen, and after Stephen's death, the apostles were scattered like dust in the wind, going out from Jerusalem in every direction. And so today, we meet Peter in Joppa, a coastal city where he is summoned to meet Cornelius in the seaport of Caesarea to preach to Cornelius and his household, who is a Gentile God worshiper and a leader in the military. Let us listen now for God's word to speak among us as we hear today's text from the book of Acts. There was a man in Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion in the Italian company. He and his whole household were pious Gentile God worshipers. He gave generously to those in need among the Jewish people and prayed to God constantly. One day, Cornelius clearly saw an angel from God in a vision. The angel came to him and said, Cornelius. Startled, he replied, what is it, Lord? The angel said, your prayers and your compassionate acts are like a memorial offering to God. Send messengers to Joppa at once and summon a certain Simon, the one known as Peter. And so Cornelius summoned two of his household servants along with a pious soldier from his personal staff. He sent them to Joppa. As their journey brought them close to the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted to eat. While others were preparing the meal, he had a visionary experience. He saw heaven opened up and something like a large linen sheet being lowered to the earth by its four corners. Inside the sheet were all kinds of four-legged animals, reptiles, and wild birds. A voice told him, get up, Peter, eat and kill, kill and eat. But Peter exclaimed, absolutely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke a second time, never consider unclean what God has made pure. This happened three times, and then the object was suddenly pulled back into heaven. Peter was bewildered about the meaning of this vision, but just then the messenger sent by Cornelius arrived at the gate. Calling out, they inquired whether Simon, known as Peter, was there. While Peter was brooding over the vision, the spirit interrupted him. Look, three people are looking for you. Go downstairs. Don't ask any questions. Just go with them because I have sent them. So Peter went downstairs and they said, We've come on behalf of Cornelius, a centurion and a righteous man, a God worshiper who is well respected by all Jewish people. A holy angel directed him to summon you to his house and to hear what you have to say. And so Peter invited them in as his house guests. The next day they got up and went together to Joppa, or went from Joppa, and they arrived in Caesarea. 
Anticipating their arrival, Cornelius gathered his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, he said, I want to know then why you sent for me. And Cornelius answered, I was praying at home, and suddenly a man in radiant clothing stood before me, and he said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayers. Therefore, send someone to Joppa and summon Simon, who is known as Peter. I sent for you right away, and you were kind enough to come. Now, here we are, gathered in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has directed you to say. And so Peter said, I really am learning that God doesn't show partiality to one group of people over another. Rather, in every nation, whoever worships him and does what is right is acceptable to him. While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit fell on everyone who heard the word. The circumcised believers who came with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. They heard them speaking in other languages and praising God, and Peter asked, These people have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. Surely no one can stop them from being baptized with water, can they? And Peter directed that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Holy God, you give us the gift of this story. We ask that you might be with us in this place. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be holy and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It is not difficult to imagine today's story. Visions and dreams might feel far-fetched at times, but honestly, I can relate to Peter waiting for his lunch, possibly a little bit hungrier than he may have thought, slipping into a spiritual dreamlike state and picturing food coming down from heaven. But can you imagine acting on such a vision, saying yes to the disruption of these strangers who arrived at his door? Having just come from our wilderness confirmation trip, which you have heard a little bit about, it will not surprise you that my own connections to today's story is influenced by our travels. And here's why. Wendell Berry puts it this way, Scripture is best read and understood outdoors, and the farther outdoors, the better. Outdoors, we are confronted everywhere by wonders. We see the miraculous is not extraordinary, but it is the common mode of existence. And so when we stood beneath the stars and pondered the smallness of our own lives in light of the depth of the universe, it was hard to dismiss the miracles of Scripture. Even Jesus turning water into wine seemed unsurprising. Because as Wendell Berry put it, without the wilderness, we forget the greater and still continuing miracles by which water with soil and sunlight is turned into grapes. And so the wilderness shapes the way that we read these visions and these dreams by way of three wilderness practices. First, we left our watches behind and we practiced timelessness. We accepted, as wilderness philosopher Sigurd Olson calls it, the time clock of the wilderness, each day governed by daylight and dark rather than schedules and alarms, eating when hungry and sleeping when tired becoming completely immersed in the ancient rhythms of life. Second, we allowed silence and scripture to echo off the morning sunrise. After breakfast, 
With all our gear packed up and in our boats, we read scripture floating in our canoes and paddled away in wordless, silent prayer. And finally, third, we practiced the mantra, know as you go. And I'm guessing that my wilderness team might cringe at the thought of one more mention of know as you go. It became so deeply important to our experience that we may have overused the phrase, but here is why it became necessary. Out on a lake in the Boundary Waters in Minnesota, navigational landmarks like islands or peninsulas or bays are shown quite clearly on a map, but run together in real life, appearing indistinguishable. This flusters us, old and young alike. We're going the wrong way, you want to say. There's supposed to be something up ahead, a bay, but it's just a wall of trees. But then, when it seems like turning back is the only option, as if by magic, the bay opens up before us and we could paddle right through, continuing our route exactly as the map predicted. You see, we took no GPS. There was no little blue dot indicating on the map the exact location. The paper map was our only guide. And when more questions came about, like, where will we camp tonight? Or how long until we get there? We only knew as much as we knew in the moment. We couldn't ask Google. We couldn't call ahead and make a reservation at the next lake over. We could only paddle forward, seeing if there was a campsite vacant. And if not, our only choice was to paddle onward towards the next lake. And so a wilderness guide explains, to avoid the anxiety that accompanies the feeling of lostness and to truly dwell in the timelessness of the wilderness, we adopt the mantra, know as you go. Know as you go means understanding what you know now is enough. It means living contentedly with the uncertainty of what lies ahead. And it is knowing that the future will unfold into the present and God will be there, just as God is here. These three practices, timelessness, silence, and know as you go, allowed us to be completely in the moment, unconcerned or concerned only by the task at hand, and uninterrupted by tweets or texts or alerts. These practices were binding, creating a deep spiritual trust, a divine trust in the mysteries of mysteries. And these practices, I would suggest, bear witness not only to our experience in the wilderness, but to today's scripture passage as well, to Peter's faithfulness as he encounters Cornelius. For one, Peter might not have been able to drop everything and go with complete strangers if he did not, in part, practice a spirituality of timelessness. Yes, this is the Peter we know from the Gospels, Peter the fisherman, Peter one of the twelve disciples, and to be honest, one of Jesus' closest disciples. And yes, this is Peter, the one who denied Jesus three times, Peter who wept uncontrollably at the rooster crow, realizing just how hopelessly heartfelt his denials of Jesus had been. But at some point, between those denials and today's story, Peter was given a chance to turn. To turn from denial to faith, from despair to hope, from deserting Christ to shepherding his flock. And so, in today's text, Peter is no longer in denial, but now a revered, faithful leader. Peter hears God tell him, go and do not ask any questions. And so, despite what might be a natural inclination to the contrary, practicing a sense of timelessness, wrapped up truly in God's time and not his own, Peter goes. 
And once he goes, we see a second openness. Peter also is rooted in this know-as-you-go spirituality. Peter asks Cornelius, why, why have you sent for me? And once Peter hears how God knit their lives together with these dual visions, Peter replies, I really am learning that God does not show partiality to one group over another. I love this line for two reasons. On the one hand, Peter sees that God shows no partiality. God's love is not just for some exclusive group, not just for those who were brought up in this way or that way, not just for those who were part of this story from the beginning. Instead, God is breaking down the barriers between insiders and outsiders, between us and them. God's transformational love is not for just some of us, but for all of us. But on the other hand, Peter sees this love, this wide and deep love of God for all people, and he says, I really am learning this. I really am learning this. He sees God's love is so expansive that it is only day by day that we can learn how deep and wide God's love truly is. Peter has become rooted in this know-as-you-go theology that God's love can be revealed wider and deeper every day, even now. Today, like Peter and Cornelius, we are united by two visions. In one vision, we have a vision for a child, the child baptized here today. In this vision, we imagine a world where this church, Kenilworth Union Church, supports Joseph's parents, supports Joseph's godparents, supports Joseph as he grows up in faith. This does not, of course, ever mean that there won't be struggles. This does not mean the road ahead will be straight. There will be days when no as you go is all that we will have. And yet in our vision, God is with us no matter what. And secondly, today we have a vision for our wilderness confirmation participants. Children once baptized here or maybe there, then or maybe not yet, and now some of these baptismal promises that were made at the font have been realized. This church has wrapped their arms around these young people. The church has nurtured them and is nurturing them. And these youth can live out new baptismal promises, their promises that they also made to nurture Joseph, to give voice to God's love in this world that they know. The church's love for these youth is rooted in a sense of timelessness, trusting God's timing and not our own. This does not, of course, mean that there will not be struggles, that the road ahead will be straight. There will be days when no as you go is all that we will know. And now, as we are all sent out from this place, we are asked also to ponder P Peter and Cornelius' story anew. What new vision might grow among us? Peter says, I really am learning that God does not show partiality to one group over another. How is this true now in our own lives, in our own context? How is God's surprising welcome changing us today? How is God calling us to live in light of Peter's insight into God's love? Let us prayerfully gather in silence now, welcoming God to open our eyes as we wait upon the Lord.